All right, the book of Luke, chapter 6. Continuing on in the Sermon on the Plain, working our way through this, uh, through Luke's gospel. We're actually going to, we're, we're going to read the end of the Sermon on the Plain uh, this morning, kind of Jesus' conclusion. But we're actually going to go back a little bit next week and kind of backtrack a little bit. So we've actually got two more messages left out of this, this Sermon on the Plain that Jesus gives. But we're going to look at the end of it this morning, the conclusion that, that Jesus offers. So it's important for us to remember that, that we're, we're kind of coming in on the back end of a sermon here. This would be like, like, like here in the last five minutes of a, of a sermon and how Jesus kind of brings the conclusion in. So it's, it's kind of set in the context of what we've studied the last, uh, last several, several weeks. And so this is Jesus at the very end. Uh, in, in seminary, in uh, preaching classes, I was taught that no matter how bad a sermon is, no matter how far it gets off of the rails, uh, no matter how rough and rocky it is, that, that the end of a sermon, a sermon in general, was kind of like flying an airplane. It might be a rough flight, but in the end, all that anybody remembers is whether or not you landed safely. And so that, that's what I was taught. Uh, a sermon w- was like that. It doesn't matter how rough or uh, how bad the takeoff is, uh, so long as you land the plane smoothly, that's all that people really want. I'm not sure that's really good advice at all. Uh, I don't know that that's great advice, but we're going to see how Jesus lands the plane uh, this morning. We're going to see the conclusion that he brings us to, and while I don't think that, uh, that he had a rough go in his sermon here, uh, we're going to see how he, how he warns it, but I'll warn you, it's not a smooth landing. Uh, this one kind of comes to a bit of an abrupt halt. Uh, it's a hard one, but it's an important for us, uh, important one for, for all of us, uh, and I think especially an important one for the graduates that we honored uh, this this morning, and I'll also tell you this is going to be a little bit of a shorter sermon than what I typically would uh, would deliver because I think Jesus is driving home to a point, and we don't need to belabor the point so much as we need to sit in the point just a little bit uh, this morning. He's teaching in the Sermon on the Plain, which began with the pronouncement of blessings and woes right there in the middle of chapter six, which. To oversimplify kind of how we've, we, we've looked at that is, is Jesus' way of introducing the reality that those that find their joy, that find their, uh, their fill here on earth, will find that that momentary satisfaction will actually lead to great sadness when they realize just how temporary that satisfaction is. That's how he began the sermon. And then what happens after that is he kind of reiterates that point over and over he then goes throughout the sermon to talk about all the different ways that it kind of plays out, that reality plays out in our lives, and then uh, he's going to conclude the sermon in what I think is a clear picture of what it means to be truly blessed uh, versus the, the woes, the sadness that comes with finding all your hope and joy in this world. So I'm going to read our text. It's our only text for the morning. We're not really bouncing around much. I'm just going to be right on this one point, Luke chapter 6, verse 46 the very end of the chapter. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on a ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So just like last week, Jesus' words are not complicated here. 
There's no fancy tricks of the Greek language to interpret, no, into, no, no, no cultural context that, that clarifies things, no way for me to soften uh, what it is that, that Jesus says, just a couple of things for us to work through and some application that has some, some, some very clear and, and weighty aspects to it. So Jesus begins his conclusion with a very simple question. It is the question that, that, folk, that, 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 that all of us on some level have to, have to deal with. And so he's talking to followers and he's talking to those that have come out to hear him preach. So some that would call themselves disciples and some that are just there to hear him or perhaps even to get healed. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you to do? He's asking these listeners, the, the followers and skeptics alike, why do you call me Lord? Now notice this is not all caps L-O-R-D because that would mean that that is uh, the, the, the covenant name for Jesus that would be, or, or for, for God, that would be Yahweh. This is the word curios, uh, which is the, uh, a way of saying master or ruler. And so what Jesus is asking here is, why do you call me master, but you don't do what I tell you to do? You are a walking oxymoron. You say you are not, you're a moron, you're an oxymoron. It's a different thing. He says, you are a walking oxymoron. You call yourself a follower, but you've not taken a single step behind me. You call yourself someone who is following me, who is a follower of me, yet whenever I tell you to do these things, you don't do them. For Jesus, this makes no sense. He, he doesn't, he can't. He can't kind of comprehend how we get here. And sadly, for many of us, this is exactly what we know of the church and even our own spiritual lives. We've heard the commands, we've read the stories, and we have made the profession. Yet when it comes time to follow behind him, we head out kind of on our own adventure. We kind of head out and we do our own thing. We like to pretend that it's me and God heading out on an adventure together. But the reality is that God has gone one way and we have gone another. Or even, even more to the point, it's not so much that God's gone one way and we've gone another. This is not Jonah where we're heading in the opposite direction. So much as it is, we're not sure where God is. We're just out taking a walk. And then if, if God is with us, then that's great. And if God is willing to kind of bless the walk that I'm on, even better. But we're just kind of taking a walk. We're not following anyone. We're hoping Jesus is following us. That's how it works most of the time. This is an analogy that I've used before. I totally ripped this off of Francis Chan, but I, you guys have heard me use this before, but it's, it's too good not to use. It's exactly, the, the and, and this kind of lives like rent-free in my head, thinking about this analogy, is that, that, that following Jesus is like playing Simon Says, right? Simon Says, pat your head. And then what do you do? You pat your head, right? Simon Says, do this, you do that. Simon Says, you do whatever Simon Says. But in the church, when we play Jesus Says, it, it, it looks totally different. We don't actually do what Jesus says. We memorize it. We don't actually do what Jesus says. Like, like it, So... So this would be like, if, if I told Isaiah, go clean your room, Isaiah, and it, you guys have heard me use this before, but it just works so well. If I say, Isaiah, go clean your room, and then like two hours later, he comes back to me, and he says, 
Dad, you're going to be so proud of me. I memorized what you told me to do. You, you said, Dad, go clean your room. Or you said, Isaiah, go clean your room. That's, that's, what, you, that's what you said. That was, I got it memorized. In fact, in fact, I can probably, I, I think I can say clean your room in Greek. If I know it in Greek, like that's really good. And I've got a Bible study that starts next week. And, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to have all my friends come over. And we're going to talk about what it would look like if I cleaned my room. We're going to talk about how I would do it. And we're going to talk about all the great things that would happen whenever I clean my room. But he never cleans his room, right? This is how we play church. This is what we do. When Jesus says do something, we say, I'll memorize what you told me to do. But we don't so much go and actually do what he says to do. And we have substituted so much religious activity for what Jesus actually asks us to do. So many things that we've put on top of what he asks us to do. And we said, if we do those extra things that are, that are centered around what he asks us to do, but we don't, then we don't necessarily have to do what he asks us to do. And we call doing all those extra things obedience. But they're not. They're extra things. One of the things that I learned early on here at Providence, and I'm talking like the earliest, earliest days here at Providence, when we, uh, when we, first, when we first start, I met with a lot, of, uh, a lot of college students in those days. I don't know, I was 30, so maybe they were like, oh, this guy's cooler, and then they got to know me, and that's not the case. But uh, I, I met with a lot of college students in those early days, like, like a lot. And what, what became very apparent is that there was this kind of weird thing that was in the that was that was happening where what was desired in 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 certain circles was not overcoming sin but battling sin do you understand the, the difference in, in what i'm saying there like what 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 became honored what became valued was 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 really this idea of struggle and not the idea of actual obedience. And so what people wanted was, was, was kind of the, the, the appearance of, uh, of struggle and, and kind of pay lip service to it. So I, I'd meet with, with guys and they would confess an addiction to pornography and they'd talk about how they had confessed it to their campus minister and they were confessing it to, to, to me and they were saying, this is what I'm struggling this, this is what I'm d- dealing with. I, I've told my friends so that, that, that we're in like an accountability group and they'd, they'd talk about how horrible the struggle was that they had and, and struggle was always the word that was used and, and, and they, would, they would be looking for like a, a, a pat on the back from me to say, well, I'm so glad that you're struggling with it. Like, as a, like, like the goal was the struggle. Not overcoming it, not obedience apart from it. And, that, and that's kind of where the conversation would end. Like we, we would talk about some things, the conversation would end, and then we'd meet again a few weeks or a few months later, and I'd ask how things were, and, and things were most of the time not great. And I'd, I'd ask what steps they had taken to live in obedience in this area of their life, and they'd usually say nothing. They're just struggling. They hadn't really done anything different, they were just struggling and it would be this kind of idea that the goal was to confess the struggle and not actually take the steps that were necessary to work through the struggle and get into victory the goal isn't the struggle for us the goal is obedience 
The goal is that we actually do what, what God has called us to do. And we can talk about a dozen different sins. We can, we can talk about all kinds of different ways that this plays itself out from, from the, the, the way we treat our spouses to the way that we, uh, the, that we care for others to the way that we do all kinds of different things. This is other conversations I've had of, of, of people dealing with things in their marriage and it's like, like they want their marriage to be better but then whenever we say, well then how do you treat your wife or how do you treat your husband? It's like, well however they treat me, then your marriage is not going to get better and, and you can't just live in the, the midst of that struggle forever because struggle is not the goal. We say things around here like it's okay to not be okay. You've heard me say that before and that's true. We want to be the kind of place where we are authentic to the point where we can say it's okay that we are messed up. That, that is one of our core values is that we want to be completely authentic. But saying it's okay to not be okay doesn't mean it's okay to stay there. It doesn't mean it's okay to stay in that place of struggle. Yes, we're always going to be fighting sin. But what Jesus calls us to is obedience. And so whenever he says, you, you say to me, Lord, Lord, but you don't do anything that I tell you to do. Like what Jesus is saying, this doesn't make any sense to me. This is not how it's supposed to work. It doesn't work like this. We have to remember that obedience to Jesus is the call. Jesus tells us what it looks like when obedience becomes, uh, that, that, that when it looks like obedience becomes optional or even secondary, he says, he says, let me give you a picture of what it looks like when obedience is optional. When you decide whether or not you're going to do whatever I tell you to do. Let me tell you what it looks like. And he, and, he, and he takes a look at these two houses, and he says, look, these two houses are, are just alike, two houses built right next to each other. If you drive up and down, uh, if you drive up and down the, the neighborhood, the, the road that leads to my neighborhood right now, in the span of like three days, they threw up like 15 houses that all look exactly the same. Like, they're, they're, they're very similar looking houses. They're all just slight little differences, but they, they built them all at the same time. They all got built together. They almost all look identical. From the road, I couldn't tell you more than one or two things that were different about each one. They look just alike. I happened to be driving by whenever they were, they were building the foundation on these houses all together at the same time. So I know that they have a, uh, a, a foundation, which I assume is a... A good one, but in this story that Jesus tells, he's talking about two houses right next to each other, and the only thing that separates the two, the only thing that's different in the two, is the the foundation. The walls look the same, the the, the porch looks the same, the roof looks good. So long as anyone can see from the outside, all is well. Life just kind of keeps trucking along, and as long as there's blue skies and sunshine, all probably will be just fine with those houses. But when the storms come, the worthiness of the house will be shown. Again, it's not a complicated metaphor that Jesus gives us here. We, we, live, in a, we live in a brick house uh, now where we're at. It's not as big as we'd like for it to be, but it's a really well-built house. It was built in the, the, the 90s. We really like the house that, that we're at. Um, and part of the reason that we like the house is because the house that that we were in before it makes us appreciate this house just a little bit 
uh, a little bit more. The house we, 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 we were in, which our kids now refer to as the creepy house. So they say whenever we lived in the creepy house, and they, they're talking about the house up on the hill that we lived on, it was a manufactured home and it was set on a great piece of, uh, of property. And, and, and it just wasn't the sturdiest build. It just, it just wasn't great. And so um, whenever, uh, I, I remember a couple of times Emily like calling me and, and, and telling me, trying to figure out where do we go when there's a tornado warning like around. And for whatever reason, during the time that we lived in this house, it was like frequent. Uh, and, and she was like, she's like, where do we go? I'm like, I don't know, bathtub, I guess. I don't know. There's really not like a good place for you to go in this house. Uh, and I remember one of the times that after a, a storm had come through, wind had kind of beat against the house pretty good. Um, there, was a, there was a closet door that was in our bedroom that when we first moved in, we, we could not get it completely shut. Like in order to get it pretty close to shut, I'd have to like really put my shoulder into it and, and like shove it to get it to get it shut and then to open it it would be like you know you got to brace yourself and really really pull against it and then one of these storms came through where the wind was really blowing and stuff and I noticed a couple of days later like the the closet door just it just opened just very like no effort whatsoever closed it was like huh this house shifted this much to where this closet door actually works now um, and so being in a brick house now for us is like, oh, this is great. Uh, nothing changes when the wind blows. Um, it's, it, it's wonderful. Uh, and, and so what, what, what Jesus is talking about here is, is that, that if we build our lives on the wrong thing, then when the storms of life come, you won't just have a, a closet door that shuts differently. You will have a house that is in shambles. The difference in these two houses is not in what everyone sees, but in what they can't. And Jesus says that foundation is based upon Jesus being truly Lord, truly master, and not just that guy that you say, uh, you know, I hope you're here with me while I do my own thing. Not just the guy that you say, I hope you're here. Not just the guy that, that you say, I want to do most of the stuff you ask Jesus, but we have a line that we can't cross. He has to be your Lord over all. Some of you guys saw just a couple of days ago that, that Tim Keller passed away, a pastor in New York City who, who's had a tremendous impact on, on my life and, and many of yours as well. I want to read this quote to you, how he, he says, uh, this is how this works whenever Jesus is Lord. He says, when a great big truck goes over a tiny little bridge, sometimes there's a bridge quake. When a big man goes onto thin, uh, thin ice, there's an ice quake. Whenever Jesus Christ comes down into a person's life, there's a life quake. Everything is reordered. If he was a guru, if he was a great man, if he was a great teacher, even if he was the genie of the lamp, there would be some limits on his rights over you. If he's God... You cannot relate to him at all and retain anything in your life that's, not, uh, that's a non-negotiable. Anything, any view, any conviction, any idea, any behavior, any relationship, he may change it. He may not change it. But at the beginning of the relationship, you have to say, in everything, he must have the supremacy. I think that pretty well sums it up for us. 
This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to be one of his followers. And so whenever you say, Lord, Lord, but then he says, well, let me see just how much of a master I am over you, and you aren't faithful in those things, then he says, how can you call me Lord? How can you call me master? If I am master, the implication is, if I am Lord, the implication is, if I am leader, the implication is, you are the follower who does what I say. Otherwise, what are we even doing here? What are we even saying here? I remember when I, was, uh, when I was in college, I was wrestling through what the next part of life would look like for, uh, for Emily and I. We were working through uh, trying to decide. I, I hadn't decided uh, on, on what the career path would be, where things would be. Emily was uh, like a year behind me, and so kind of waiting on her to finish school and trying to figure out what the next thing would be. And um, It was during a particularly intense time of this. I was really trying to figure out what life would, would look like for us and uh, and I had, a, I had a, a very vivid dream, only dream I've ever had that I would actually uh, take as life advice. Most of my dreams would be like, I don't know what that was about, but I'm going to try to forget it as quickly as possible. Um, but, but this one uh, just really kind of set in on me uh, and, and made a huge impact on me. It still does make a big impact on me. Uh, and so I can't say that, that using dreams is a great uh, way to discern with the Spirit, but I, I can say that the Spirit leads in a lot of different ways. Um, but in this dream, I was frantically climbing a, a ladder as hard as I could, as fast as I could, frantically climbing this ladder. It stretched well up into the clouds, well beyond what I could see. And in my dream, I just kept climbing as hard as I could. You know how whenever you have these dreams, sometimes we're like, the whole the whole night you're doing the same thing just over and over and over and it just gets exhausting. That's how this dream was for me, just climbing and climbing and climbing as fast and as hard as I could. And I kept kind of looking around. I couldn't really see much. At one point I, I was climbing, I got up into the clouds and all I could see was the clouds around me, just climbing and climbing and climbing. And then I, I, I eventually got through the clouds, got just to the top of the clouds. And as soon as I got above the clouds, the ladder just stopped. It didn't go any higher. It didn't go any further. I couldn't go anywhere else. The, the ladder was done. And I was so confused as to what was going on. And then in my dream, I, I look over and there is a, another ladder that is right next to me, but out of my reach where I can't just kind of like step over to it. And this ladder just kept going. It just kept going as far as I could see, totally out of distance up into space, I guess. I don't really know. It just kind of went out of my sight and just kind of kept, uh, kept going uh, all, the way, all the way up. And, and in this dream, I very clearly, because I, I felt the weight and the sorrow in the dream, very clearly took this to mean that that, that ladder that I was not on was the one that was headed towards heaven, towards God. And when I woke up, I remember telling Emily about that dream, and I told her then, I don't know what this dream means. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it right now in this moment. All I know is we cannot get on the wrong ladder. We cannot get on the wrong ladder. We have to make sure we pick the wrong ladder because if we do, we will spend our whole lives climbing and working so hard for something. And when we get to the end, we'll realize we've wasted all of it. We cannot get on the wrong ladder. I needed to make sure whatever we were going to do with our lives, that we started in the right place and we were pursuing the right 
things. Even though I didn't know what the next step was, I knew that fact had to be true. We had to get that right. I know now that God was using that dream as a part of a a call to ministry for for me. But that doesn't have to be the case for you, whether ministry is in your future or or, or not, whether uh, whether it's it's going into the, the, the Navy or a family or a school or whatever is next for all of us here in this place. The principle holds, we can't waste our lives climbing ladders and building houses that are faulty from the very base of where they begin. We have to get this right. We have to get this right. Now, the, the, the beauty of this is we can change this at any point. There's no, there's no such thing as, as sunk cost in the kingdom. Do you know what sunk cost is? It's, it's where you get like halfway through something and you realize, oh, this is not going to be as good as I thought it was going to be, but I've put too much money into this thing, and so I, have to just kinda, I just have to kind of finish it out. Listen, if you're, if you're two-thirds of the way into building a house that's going to collapse the first time the wind blows, stop building the house and start building something else. Stop building the house and move on and do something else. Start building the right way, and then you go from there. Do not fall into, it's called the fallacy of sunk cost, believing that just because you've already spent so much money, you have to keep going in that way. You've already spent so many days and so much life, you have to just keep going in that way. The gospel tells us that we can come back to Christ, we can come to him at any point. Notice too about these houses, not only do they look the same, but they also face the same adversity. They face the same adversity. Those houses on my street, uh, they're, they're, they're all in this, the same neighborhood. Regardless of what the, the foundation is, they're all going to see the same storms. Back in, um, back in November, I, I meant to put a, a picture in here and I forgot to, but back in November we had one of those, like, I, I don't really understand. It seems to me like these wind storms are way more frequent than they used to be, where like we're just getting all this crazy wind that comes through all the time. Well, back in November, we we got a trampoline. That trampoline ended up on the deck of our house, Um, much to Isaiah's chagrin because many of the poles are bent and it's not really usable at this point. Uh, But the the trampoline, the wind came through and the trampoline ended up on the the deck of of our house. Fortunately, it didn't take off like, like so many others because here's the thing. That same week, I remember driving up and down our road and seeing, uh, you know, another trampoline that was turned over on its side, another one that was up like 60, 70 feet up in the top of a tree, like all, all right in like the, the, the same area. And, and why is that? Because they all faced the same wind, right? They all faced the same wind. They all had the, the, the same uh, thing. It was a sad day whenever our trampoline was blown over. But ours wasn't the only one that was blown over because we all got the same storm and we all dealt with the same thing. I think sometimes we read this little parable from Jesus and we internalize it to mean that because one house is still standing, that somehow it didn't go through the same storm. That somehow it didn't have to deal with the same adversity. Like it was the house high on the hill away from the fray. Like, like if it's built on the rock, that means it was built high up above all the other stuff. And it didn't deal with the same wind and the same storms while the other was in like another part of town. And it was like, yeah, they must have really got it bad over there. 
But you need to hear me. These two houses face the same storm, the same adversity. Following Jesus doesn't keep you from storms, but it does get you through the storms. And there's a world of difference in those two things. There's no promise that going through life won't hurt. It doesn't promise that it won't be a long, terrifying, violent storm. It doesn't even promise that you'll be able to look out the windows and see just how far it is until the storm front blows through and begins to let up. It just says the storm will not wash you away. That's the promise. And the best part is you're not the one that's doing the work of holding it all together. Yes, maybe you are the one that, that started by laying the foundation on the rock, but the rock is the thing that does the work. The rock is the anchor that holds you still, not you. It's not your craftsmanship of the house that you built. It's not, it's not your work where you have set things up and said, because I am so strong, I will hold this house together. It is the rock that holds and sustains so you see how this parable works. You have, to, you have to see what it is that Jesus is trying to, to, to drive in here. Your hope is not in your good works. Your hope is not in your obedience. That is a poor interpretation of what Jesus is trying to say here. He isn't saying if you do good religious things like you're supposed to, life will go well. He's saying that if you do what, what, what you have... If you do what Jesus has commanded, you'll see what your life is rooted in and who your master really is. And those that have Jesus as their Lord will also have, them, will also have him as their Savior. But those that do not have him as Lord will not have him as either. The obedience that he calls us to is the evidence of the foundation. But it's not the foundation itself. Do you understand the difference in those two things? The obedience that he calls us to, that he says if you build your life in this way, it, it will prove and have dividends for you. But it is not the foundation. The foundation is the rock. The foundation is Jesus. He is the cornerstone. And if you build your life on him, it will have implications that will save you from so much. But make no mistake, it is not the good works that are our foundation. Yes, the obedience is the call. But that is not where we place our hope. Without Jesus, the fall of the house is great. There are consequences. I think, I think so, so often in our culture, it can be easy to say like, you know what, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, we'll see how it works out in the end. And on some level, that's how a conversation has to go with so many people. But listen, th th it is not, if you're in here and you are not a follower of Jesus, if, if you look at him and you say, perhaps he's got something good for me to hear, but you have not committed your life to him in the way that you say, you are Lord. It is not ignorance that is bliss for you. Just because you don't know what your house is built on doesn't mean that when the storm comes, it won't get blown away. 
There are consequences for these things. But the message that Jesus gives us here is not do better. The message Jesus gives us here is be warned. When it comes to Jesus, one of two things has to be true. He will cost you everything or he will cost you nothing. But he can't just cost you a little. Either your life is built on him and you are following him. And so whenever he calls you, you answer. Whenever he says, I'm in charge, you say, here's the keys. You drive, I go wherever you take me. But if there is anywhere where you're like, I, this is not it for me. This isn't on the table. As the old saying goes, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And that is true. But the blessing of what Jesus is teaching here, as he's working through this sermon, as he's going through this sermon on the plane, he is telling us, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to practice what it is that I am telling you to practice. This is how it works out for you. But make no mistake, he is not saying that this is how you achieve salvation in me, how you achieve the, the, good, the, the, the good that you want. This is not how you get eternal life. What he's saying is, this is how it works out in life. This is what it looks like when someone follows me. So yes, obedience is the call. But Jesus is, is quick all throughout this gospel to tell us that that grace is always there and available for us. So yes, while, while he calls us to obedience, that obedience is built on a foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ who offers us grace. And so this is the way that this works, and we'll see this all throughout this gospel. And this is why we're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning. Because it is a reminder to us that the death and the resurrection of Jesus is what we are built on. It's what our obedience is built on. Because if our obedience is built on achieving something or doing something to win approval, then that obedience, that obedience will falter because it's not built on the rock anymore. It will get washed away. But if it is built on Jesus, if it is built on the grace and it comes, the obedience flows from that, that's where the anchor holds. So we're going to sing a song here in just a second. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing. I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to come back up and we're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper. We're going to take these elements and we're going to remind ourselves of the grace and the goodness of Jesus. And we're going to also remind ourselves of the cost of disobedience. Because that's what sin is. That is what, that is what Christ came for, to redeem us from. That's why his body is broken and his blood is spilled. And then we're going to pray about what it would look like for us to be truly obedient. To where we can say, Lord, Lord, Master, Master. And Jesus doesn't say, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we desperately need your grace because we confess so much disobedience. Father, help us to see the beauty of, of obedience, of following, of knowing you. Help us to, to see what it looks like to truly live out the life you've called us to. 
Father, help us not to waste our lives building houses that will fall over at a moment's notice. But to do the work to follow Jesus and to be built on the rock. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.